Hello and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. Ken, uh, one of the things, um, so great to be back again. One of the things yeah. I want to say, like, I, hey, welcome if back. You're, if you're listening to this and you're saying, like, ah, oh, it sounds a little different, it sounds a little different in here, like the the voices sound different. Oh yeah, different. <laughs> we should probably <laughs> we we upgraded. We should probably state we're actually in a studio. We're yeah, our first season was fantastic, and I really enjoyed. It. And we had a great production team that we worked with on the first season of It's Not Personal. And helping us filter out my 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 tea slurping and, and <laughs> coughs and moments and you know, but we we said if we're gonna do this again, let's let's do this right. Let's let's upgrade. And so we're we're yeah. in a real studio with the same production team. Yeah. But now we're in a dedicated space. Yeah. Uh, for it's not personal, and I think that and and thank actually I want to say to our listeners. That's in part thanks to our listeners because we got such great response that we said, well, we should do a second season yeah. and we should really lean in and continue to build on this. So yeah. we, we're in a much better space. We're actually, we're videoing this. So we're going to figure out how to publish the videos and such. And right. so you'll be able to see. It's, a, it's right. actually a really beautiful space. And, and, and you can, and, you can and, hear it's a much better space. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully you can hear it. And hopefully the uh, editing process is a little simpler. And like, and for those of you who actually said to me, what are you guys recording in a closet? Like the answer was yeah. yes. Yes, we were. We were actually recording in a closet. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway. So it was a nice closet. We're, we're, we're I back, mean, in we're fairness. Here, we're here at the studio. <laughs> we're at the studio in, in, uh, in downtown Portland. Portland, Maine. Portland, so, Maine. So right. really great Portland, to um, great to be here. Great to to have uh, a great team working with us, uh, Ryan and Logan. So thank you very much. And then, um, yeah, what, what what are we talking about today, Ken? Yeah, we, no. we got a, we got a we got so a thing. It's such a great it's such a great space. So we we're gonna build off what we talked about in our last episode, where we talked about being. What's it mean to be a subversive leader? What's great leadership look like? What's how is that sometimes subversive? And we talked about that as kind of a theme. But I, I said, you know, actually one of the subversive parts of this is as a leader, and this is really a podcast designed for leaders and designed for people that want to be leaders or, or grow in leadership in whatever field they're in. And I'm in technology, but there's a lot of applicable things here. But as a leader... What's your job? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's so funny because I, I would tell a story, as I do. But I'll tell a story. Years ago, and actually we talked about being here in the studio, and today I actually have my 15-year-old son here in the studio. Mm. Sam's here listening to us. But Chap- Chaperoning. Chaperoning us. Chaperoning. Uh, but many years ago, many years ago, my kid, I asked my kids. I have a 20-year-old daughter now and a 15-year-old son. And they were much younger at that point. But I asked them, I said, what do you think dad does for a living? Mm. And I think it was my daughter. And she said, oh, well, I know what you do. I was, okay, what do I do? And she said, what? No, you, you, you talk on the phone and you write PowerPoints. He's not, he's not wrong. <laughs> I, I laughed and I was like, well, that's, I mean, sort of, yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what I do. But what is that? I mean, what do I actually do as a leader is... You know, and, and even like a couple of years ago, I was sharing my calendar, uh, my Outlook calendar with somebody, and they're like, how's your, your week look this week? Because we want to meet. And I showed them my calendar, and it was full of meetings, and it was like, oh, my God. Like, it was like seven or eight hours of meetings a day. And they said, wow, that sounds terrible. And I said, well, I mean, hang on. I mean, what my job is, you know, what that means is I go from room to room, or in this case, from Zoom to Zoom these days, mm-hmm. and... I have a chance to talk to people about what they're doing and I give them feedback to help them improve and provide input or we follow up on the last time we did that and see if we got positive results. And then I go on to the next topic. And I said, that there, there are worse ways to make a living. Mm. 
than to help other people be successful. Mm. And that was the key Mm. aspect of what is your job as a leader is to help other people on your own team or others, Mm. or your customers or your own, be successful. So so talk about that because that, you know, I imagine that's not in your job description. Like I imagine that like when they were pitching this idea of a CIO at the company. They yeah, when they like, wrote the job profile yeah, of the they, CIO, they, is they, your job is to help other people be successful. Right, I bet that was a little bit, you know, there was some other stuff right, in the job description. Right. Yeah. But, but tell, me, tell me what's an underlying belief that drives that idea that that, that is actually your job. Yeah, I mean, I think there's both specific and generic aspects of this. I think any of us as leaders... You know, the concept of being a leader involves a bunch of other people, right? Because, I mean, if you're, if you're a leader, it, if you don't have other people involved, you, you're not a leader. You're just right. an individual, right. senior, whatever. And that's, that's cool. That's a whole job thing. But if you're a leader, there's other people involved. Yeah. Okay. And I know I'm oversimplifying here. Right. But if you're a leader, there's other people involved. Yeah. And your job, as I don't care what role you're in, I'm in technology, others are in marketing or legal or finance or whatever, but your job as a leader, if there's other people involved, it's to help those people be successful. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot of assumptions that are sort of built into this. So let's, let's, let's name a couple, right? So one assumption is that, um, and this may be a tough one for most people to, to ingest right away, but like the assumption is that you, the people who you're leading are the right people, right? That's a that's an important assumption. So, like, we're we want to get really clear about the fact that um, if you have someone on the team whose objective is to sabotage another person on the team or to yeah, not, not do not a good success. job, right? That's that's well, they may see that as their success, right? You know, but that's not. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating to make a point, right? That like. You want to start off with the premise, the assumption that everyone on your team actually for success for them is actually success for the company. That if they're good at what they do, if they're successful in what they're trying to do, then in fact the company does better. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to flip that on its head, but I do want to to maybe come at it from a different perspective. Because as a leader, your team is to help your people be successful. I'm just going to, I'm going to lay that as my foundational principle. Uh Uh-huh. You can't be successful. You can't make your people successful if you put anybody on that team or allow somebody to exist on that team that's not there to help the other people be successful. Right. So, which is, I mean, to your point, I said if there's somebody on the team that's actively or passively not there to help the others around them be successful, then you as a leader are letting that team down. And right. that's the manager piece. That's the manager and the that's, leader piece. That's the manager. Like, you have to actually be managing the people on your team. Make yeah. sure that you're giving good feedback, making sure. You know, there's there's a distinction here. So uh, the, the idea of putting people in a position to be successful, helping them figure out how to be the most successful they can be, and again, the assumption is, and this is this is just hard for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm I'm taking a little time with this because I think some people think of leaders as doers. Mm. They think you know you're a leader because you do like you're the smartest, you do the most, you like you hand you, you know, whatever like you're Superman. And and that's actually not what you're saying. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah, this is a really. I think a really tough, and I I I, I wonder if it's not tougher for technical, and I mean that in kind of the broadest sense, like technical, scientific, engineering types. Because honestly, a lot of us get promoted into leadership, into manager. You use the word manager. Um, And I I draw a little bit of a distinction because I think you can be a leader even if you don't have direct responsibility for people. Absolutely. I think you can be a manager without being a leader. Right. But let's just explore that for a moment, pull that apart. A lot of us in the... And maybe this is true for other fields, but a lot of us in the management field or in the in the technical field get promoted into managing a team because we're really good at what we do. You might be maybe you're a really good software developer, so you get promoted to lead other software developers, mm. or you're a good project manager, so you get to lead other project managers. Right. Or and I've seen this a thousand times. 
And the reality is sometimes that translates into good people leadership skills, and sometimes it doesn't. And I'll, I'll tell you, because I, I told a story in the first season about a time that I went home after telling a story on the podcast, and my wife was like, I completely disagree with you on yeah, this. Right. And that was about whether we should ever apologize. Apologize, yeah. Um, this one was, sh- we had a conversation at one point about whether or not her as a, she's a scientist, she's a protein chemist and biologist, and to get promoted to be a senior scientist, you needed to be able to do everything that the people underneath you could do. Right. And I said, well, maybe, or maybe you need to know how to help them do what they do without doing their job. And we, and we fundamentally disagreed on this point, by the way. But, and, and okay, like, you know, again, I'm not going to tell her how to do science. But, like, I, I've had this conversation around portfolio management versus project management or development management versus developing. And I said, you know, knowing how to lead people and help them be successful in their role does not mean you can do their job for them. Let me be very clear. Yeah. I cannot do the job of everybody that works for me. Right. I can help right. them be successful. And that's my job. But talk, talk, talk at this through a little bit because there's, there's a, um, this is not an either or. There's a lot of gray area between these two things mm. because I think, you know, I, I might be in your position. I might really want to make people successful, but I don't really understand what they do. So I'm going to be like, well, what do you think you need? And they're going to say, yeah, I, more resources. More, and I I'm going to be like, okay, <laughs> all right, we'll get you more resources. That's what I always. And hear then, like, and then, what people. happens is, then what happens is, is that like at some point, I'm going to be called on the carpet and be like, hey, your budget is like way over, like you're way behind. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to make them successful, and this is what I did, but I don't actually know what they do. So there's a tension there, right? Like you have to, you can, you're, you, you, you talk it down a little bit, but like. You can go in the weeds with people when they start talking about technical things. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? And like, yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I think domain knowledge is really not just useful, but really important for leaders to understand how to set their teams up for success. Exactly. So what you're trying to distinguish, if I can understand this right, you're trying to distinguish the idea that domain knowledge or awareness of how things happen, or even Mm. maybe a depth of understanding of how you would have done something, is not the same as doing it. Yeah. And that you want to like, you want to encourage people to be like, hey, take a step back and don't don't tell this group how to do it. Don't tell this group how they could do it differently or how they could do it better. Don't get in the weeds with them. Figure out what do they need. Yeah, I, you know, we can use, I always love using examples. So I, I know this company well, but not the people well. But I'll use the Moderna example of yeah, right. COVID vaccines. Right. You know, so, and I know the domain of vaccine developments and pharmaceuticals pretty well, been in it for a long time. So did the CEO of Moderna know how to conduct the experiment? Probably not. Did he Did he understand how to navigate mm. the FDA regulatory requirement and the domain expertise about what was going to be required? Absolutely. So did he have the knowledge to question and position his team for success in what they were going to need to be, to do to be successful? Yes. Right? Good example. CEO of Ford, is the CEO of Ford, is she really good at designing the next generation engine? No. Is she really good at understanding safety protocols and asking the right questions? Yes. Or or you could also say that you, when you come back to like, what's my job? A lot of times, a lot of times that leader's job, in, the, in Moderna's I think is a good example, is to, to just make a decision at some point. To like not take that burden off of your team and be like, okay, we're gonna we have sixty percent of the information. We're gonna go with this. We're gonna we're gonna go with this. We're, like that happens all the time in pharma. They're like, we're gonna go to phase two. Like we we don't you know we we're gonna go to the next phase. We're gonna we're gonna go with this trial study because we can't know everything. Well, right? and and to that point, actually, the leaders I most admire that I think do this really well, and I try to emulate, are those that ask the best questions. Yes. Okay. Not, great. 
Those when we finish that thought yeah, yeah. from not those that give the best answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. those that ask the best questions. That is really interesting leadership. So talk about that. Like what's an example of what's an example of a situation where a leader because this is confusing because some leaders ask really they ask they ask questions, good questions, but they're like they're kind of intimidating questions. They mm. sort of shut people down. They mm. make people feel scared. You know, they're like, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I must be stupid or whatever. Like, what do you mean by ask good questions? Yeah, I mean, I do think that there are, I've certainly seen even leaders that ask questions with an implied answer. Mm. Um, mm. Well, well t- talk about that. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so, you know, if I ask a question like, well, what if you're wrong? Like, that's an implied answer, right? That's kind of a, that's a confrontational question versus a exploratory question or a let me take you in a direction that I haven't heard you talk about yet question. And I think there's a difference between those two things yeah. about cre- – there's a, there's a difference between a question that creates space for conversation and a question that shuts down or limits conversation. I, I think that's a beautiful way of framing that, like – is this question, so one of the ways, and we think we talked about this season one, like like one of the things you can always ask yourself is, can I follow this question? Is it, would it be natural to put at the end of this question, dumbass, <laughs> right? Because if I can ask the question and dumbass at the end of it, and it makes a lot of sense, then I'm probably not asking a really good question, right? Right. right. So there's one thing there. And then there's the other thing of like, am I, am I, am I really coming at this with curiosity? And I think that part of the problem with, we'll call it the Socratic method, right? So it's like this idea of like asking questions. Well, you know, the whole concept of the Socratic method is that you're not, re- Socrates, you know, the Plato thing, like Socrates wasn't really curious. Mm. He was trying to like guide you. guide you into a logical place where you realized your position was wrong. Yeah. Right. And like that's really interesting from a legal standpoint. It's really interesting even maybe from a technical standpoint. Maybe it's helpful to kind of like, you know, get people thinking more logic. But if you're trying to open them up, mm. if you're trying to help them under learn something or, or or expand their mind about what's possible, you have to be curious. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about what you meant by that. Tell me more about what you were thinking. Tell me what you were looking and, for. And, and- and I think good leaders, the best leaders, are the ones, and there's plenty of examples out there, that, you know, they do have a, a not a desired end state, but they have a desire to help people achieve the next level of I, they're, they're both the same. So I think that, like, I think what you're saying, uh, when you say not a desired end state, I think what I heard you say in that moment was, there, it's not like they have this like answer they're trying to get right. to, right? But there is an end state. Yeah. Like I want you to come to a realization. I mean, this. I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but I want you to come to the realization how stupid your thinking was on this process. I, well, I, but I don't <laughs> want to tell you how stupid your thinking was, and I don't want you to feel shame. I want to. I want to rephrase that because, and I'll use an example. I'll use an example because you know. In the not too distant past, I was I was working with a team that was ready to launch a new thing, a new product, and they had done some amazing work in developing the context and content that they were going to take this to market. And you know, they talked about like I'm, we're gonna we're gonna educate the market on this, and we're gonna we're gonna go and have these conversations, and we're gonna have the social content, and we're gonna have this flyer and we're going to have this email and we're going to have a bunch of stuff. And I was like, cool. Do you have a method to understand or measure which of those methods are going to be the most impactful? And it was this, we're going to throw, you know, essentially I was like, look, I, I get it. You're going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. Yeah. Which one works? Which one works? How will you know? Yeah. And I could tell the team and not thought to that next degree. And I was trying to help them, like, I need you to help think about, because three months, six months, whatever the time frame is, you're going to launch this product, this service, this whatever. And are you going to know what works? Are you doing what to double down on? And they just hadn't gotten to that second level of thinking, right? 
And I, I, I was like, everything you did to this date is great. But how are you going to know which is the greatest? So, so when I hear that, what I'm hearing is like you're, again, um, you're expanding their mind. Like, so when I say stupid thinking, like I mean small thinking. I mean sometimes like it's like we get really focused on like what are the things like, well, you know, I needed to do this and this was the next logical thing I needed to do to mm-hmm. make sure that something would happen in the end. And like that's – that's all well and good, but it's not expand. It's not like strategic thinking. It's not bigger. It, you can't scale that. That's a hard thing to like learn from because then every single project, every single product becomes like a brand new thing all over again, right? So you have to, you're trying to say like, hey, imagine if you did this thing and you threw all these things on it, but you knew which one worked. Then the next time you do this product. Project, you would do it more efficiently. You would do it more efficiently. And yeah, that mean, is strategic. There's a concept thing. of growth mindset, which, you know, has been, I mean, at this point, I don't know, it's been around for 20, 15, 20 years. Um, and that's kind of the, the one of the attributes, at least, of growth mindset is thinking about what's beyond this next step. Yeah. If I do this and I'm going to grow, what do I need to do next? Mm. What do I need to do step three, step mm. four? And that's kind of the piece, you know, I was trying to tease out with the team. It's like, yeah. you're doing all the right things. You're yeah. doing all the right things. And this is the positive aspect of being a, that leader, yeah. right, to ask the questions. I was like, okay, cool. What if that works? Wait, what if three of those things work? Yeah. Would you know which three they were? Yeah. And, are you going to throw all these things at this every time? Is that the plan? Or are you going to, mm-hmm. like, right? Like, you want to be... Well, this is kind of going back to our last episode where I talked about, like, you know, I want to hire smart, lazy people. I want to hire people that know, like, what works most effectively. Double down on that and eschew or or get rid of the rest of the stuff. So so this is is the thing you're talking about when you're like, how do I make people better? How do I make people more successful? Like, one of the ways is you help them understand, you know, what they're doing that's actually working. Like that's that's an important thing, right? Like I think sometimes as leaders, maybe this is just ingrained from school, but like we just think our job is to tell people what they didn't do right. Like like if I just tell everybody like what they didn't, like it's my job is to tell people what they did wrong, and then somehow they're going to miraculously get better. But well, it, just pause on that for a moment because inherent in what I just said was. I want to help you find the three out of the five things you said that you're going to do. Like, you're going to do five things, and three of them are going to really work, and two of them won't. Okay. So there is a responsibility as a leader and as as a listener, as a receiver, to say those two things I did didn't give me the most effective results. They might have worked, but maybe they weren't as as effective as the other three. Helping people accept that. Mm. Without feeling criticized, is actually a really interesting challenge. Yeah, well, I think that's why. I mean, just if I'm hearing it right, that's why having that conversation at that point, right in the process, where they could still actually think through how they were going to do the measurements, how they were going to like, how they might actually know, right? Versus being like, okay. Sounds good. Hope it works. And then they get done and they're like, it worked. And you're like, yeah, but what worked? But what worked? Yeah. You know, and then they're like, <laughs> I, you know, these two, these two things were the most expensive two things. Yeah. You know, are they, would, did they actually help? I don't know. Well, you know, like that's a problem. And like, then you beat them up for it, right? Like, well, and it goes both ways. I, I told a story in the first episode, uh, first season about somebody that was on my team that said, I see what you're trying to do as a leader with this group. It's never going to work the way you're trying to do it, mm. or it's going to be really hard. Mm. And she gave me fantastic feedback in that moment, and I was like, "Oh God, you're right." Yeah. And I really valued that. Was like, you know, again, this is that openness of conversation, and as a leader, and she in that moment, I would name her as a leader when she was leading me, in in reverse in yeah. a way, yeah. And saying, "I see what you're trying to do." And I want to help you be better at it. And to be better at it, you need to understand that I'm going to give you some feedback that your mm. methods are not as effective as you want them to be. Yeah. So, uh, so one one theme that's coming out of this, your job. You know, we talk back to what's your job. Yeah. Right. Um, feedback. Yeah. 
right? Good, clear, honest, direct, helpful feedback. And, th- and those, all those adjectives, right, are important because they, you can't just tell somebody evaluative feedback, like that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. Like that's not enough, right? right. You have to like give that them some- That didn't work. Right, it didn't work. Like, okay. like who doesn't know that, right? Like, okay, <laughs> thank you. You missed the basket or you like, you know, you couldn't do the thing. But the, I think that like the, sometimes, and I, I imagine leaders feel this pressure, sometimes it must get so confusing because everybody gets a little scared in a leadership position that you're going to be accountable for whether or not this thing worked or yeah. how much it cost or, you know, whether it actually had an impact on the organization as a whole, you know, what it made company money or lost the company money. Everyone feels this pressure. And one of the things, you know, your ability to give feedback without delivering that pressure, mm. right? Like you, I know you get it. I know you hear it. I know you like you feel it sometimes. I mean, we don't have to be specific, but like there's pressures within the organizations that you have worked in and there's going to be times when people are going to be saying we're spending too much money on this particular program or this particular thing that we've invested in or this vendor or whatever the thing is and you're going to feel that pressure and that heat and it's your job to make sure that you don't bring that to your team or to the teams below. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it doesn't matter what company you're in, what industry you're in. You know, if you've been in any any company or industry over a period of time, you go through cycles. Yeah. Right, every company and every organization. And you you will have the opportunity to experience these different pressures. Mm. Whether you're in a growth, and I've been in both. I've been in growth companies where it's, oh, my God, we can't invest enough. We can't get there soon enough to get to scale. I've been in startups where you've got this weird pressure of investors and, you know, and kind of growth trajectories and plans. I've been in large uh, international organizations under serious economic pressures and downturns. So all of those things. And you still have this consistent common experience as a leader of having to translate those various inputs into a set of objectives and plans yes. that are yes. achievable, yes. that people can tie into in their individual space, whether they're a team manager, individual contributor, or project manager, whatever. Day-to-day, you know, transactional, hourly processor, any of the above. Everybody, I my baseline assumption, everybody wants to come in to the job and feel connected to the purpose and feel like they're contributing value towards that goal. God, that's such an important assumption. Right? That's a foundational. Like, I just assume that every day everybody here wants to do that. And and don't look for evidence that that's not true, but also don't ignore, like, it's it's refined indifference. Like, I got to, like, not pay attention to all little stuff that, like, people just having a bad day. But then if someone like honestly doesn't want to achieve those things, I got to deal with that. And you get it like there's space for bad days. I have bad days. Everybody's right. got them. You know, so there's space for that. But you just kind of like assume that assume as a leader. Best, yeah. Okay. That's a founding, like a place you, you start from. And then you've got all these inputs from leadership and from different directions. And you got to like find a way as a leader to translate that into, as I, I said, my job as a leader is to help my team, my people, the people I work with, not only in my direct span of control, but in my day-to-day contact, whether it's customers or colleagues or my team, be successful in what they do. Okay. Can I, can I interrupt? Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about how you deal with conveying, let's say there's a message that got conveyed to you about a sense of urgency. Like, like there's a lot of pressure. This thing has to come out a certain way. It has, to, it has to hit a certain timeline. There's like people are not happy with the way this is going, and and you're feeling the pressure. How do you convey the urgency without bringing all the craziness into the? <laughs> well, I mean, I wish I had a magic formula, but you know, I think there's there's context is part of that. You got to help people understand why. To key stakeholders, whoever they are, customers, CEO, whatever, feel this is urgent. Mm. Why does that feel urgent? It's really good. Actually, I had a great example with, I'll even call him out, my current boss. This was years ago before he was my boss. But we had a 
crisis moment. And it was a software-related moment. And it was an operations-related moment. And the, I mean, the context doesn't matter. But I actually looked at him, and I was sort of new to the job. I yeah. think it was in my first year on the job. And I just actually looked at him. I was like, I don't understand why this is urgent. Like, I, under, I understand that it is urgent yes. because all of your angst tells me this is urgent. But yes. I don't understand why this is urgent. And he, God bless him, very calmly, and I remember this because it was one of those like IT operational things. So it happened, of course, at like three in the morning on something. And but he just kind of looked at me and he was like, "Let me spend five minutes explaining the why." Yeah. And afterwards, I was like, "Oh, okay." And that five minutes of explaining the why, I mean, obviously there was an immediate contextual element to it, but the fact that he spent five minutes explaining the why. And then it got me over the, like, why am I spending so much energy on this? To a, oh, this is a thing. Right. Really was important. So I'm going to I'm gonna add that to the what's my job mm. thing. Because what he did for you in that moment, that by bringing the context, by, by sharing that, by educating you, by not just thinking that you're an idiot for not knowing this already. Yeah, he didn't yell at me. Right? He didn't, like, yell at you. He didn't shame you. He didn't, like, right. whatever. He just explained it to you that... That is your job. That's a big part of your job. Yeah. Like, like, let me let me help you understand why this matters. Yeah, and and that and that works both ways. Like, I think about um, sometimes uh, technical leaders have to be able to explain the limitations of the tech that they're working with mm. because yeah. people don't understand. You know, why can't I, I mean, my, my favorite example of this is like, why can't I move the fireplace across to the other side of the room? Like, I, I, right. I think it would look better on the other side of the room. It's like, well, let me explain. Why let the me explain, fall down? Let me explain the limitations around <laughs> your fireplace and like why, like how it's built and how the house is built around it. And like, th- like y- it's not that you can't, it's just that you're going to have to basically tear your house apart and like, you know, what would that do? And like, do you really want to do all that? And how expensive it's going to be. And like the more people understand that stuff without feeling stupid, right? The more they can understand, oh, oh, right. I don't want to do that. Right? (laughs) Exactly. The why is such an important piece. Um, And then I think you said about being curious, you said about asking better questions. Like Mm. that question of your boss was a really good question. Like help me, that's a vulnerable question. Help me understand. I don't really get it. I don't get why this is important. Most people don't want to ask that question. Yeah, it was, it, I think the why part of this, and it gets into that, again, what's my job? And from a leadership perspective, as a leader, understanding and interpreting the why mm. is, and we talked about being subversive, and I think there's a little bit of subversiveness in this. I, I you know, I think understanding and interpreting the why, not just the what, because a lot of, I would say that one of the differences between being a manager, being a leader, a good manager can help you understand the what. Right. What do you need to do? Right. What's due tomorrow? What's due next week? How many chairs do you need in this room? How many chairs do you need in this room? Right. What are you going to do to get there? You know, kind of one of the tactical stuff. But why? Why are we doing that? And how do you actually spend a minute helping people yeah. understand the why and because I, I'm a big believer in this, but I think the more people understand the why at any level in the organization, yeah. when they are left alone to independently make a decision, which, frankly, I don't care what organization you're in or what level you're in, at some point you're going to need to leave people alone to make a decision. I mean, this is this is the military's commander intent. This is like their whole yeah their whole like theory behind this idea of like can we can we simplify this mission into one sentence. Because it, 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 in the absence of a manager to tell you what to do, right. it, and that's going to happen to all of us in any, right. not just the military. You're, at some situations. point, you're going to be alone having to make a decision about right. something. Right, you're going to be talking to a customer, or you're going to be talking to a colleague, right. and you're going to need to know, do I turn left or right? Do I, do what, I... What matters? Do, what's essential? Do what's, I schedule that meeting or not? What's right. essential to this? And the more you understand the why, the better position you're going to be able to make the, the right decision in that moment right. more effectively. And as a leader, I just look at that and go, that's my whole purpose, is to help enable people to understand the why, to make the best decisions with the work they have to do 
to create the best outcome. I like this. You know, I, I think the why, I think the why is hard for a lot of people. I think a lot of people don't spend enough time, a lot of companies actually don't spend enough time really wrestling with the why. It's easy when you're in a startup, you know, why sure. survival, yeah. like yeah, existential, right. like, you know, whatever. But like, um, you know, the, the bigger you are, the more complex, the, the, like lots of different projects. Sometimes it's like, you know, wait, why are we, uh, you know, why are we all meeting in a room together? And sometimes it's like, well, because somebody decided that we should be back in the office. I don't mm. know. Like, there's some things like that. Like, like it's not really clear, but like sometimes it's really, it's helpful if you're in a leadership position. If you are asking people to do something that might be difficult, that might be, that might make it harder for them to do their job, get really clear about the why. Well, let me give you get really one, clear. and this is a, this is a, definitely on the theme of being subversive, right? Okay. Cause here's one meeting as a leader that I hate to hear my team call. Yeah. Which is, well, what we need to do is get together to talk about ways of working. Right. And I'm like, if we were really clear on the why of what we're trying to do, we would not need to get together to talk about ways of working. Yeah, that's interesting. Ways of working. Because for me, ways of working is code. It's code for one of two things. How do we make decisions? Which is actually code for who gets to make the decision. Yeah, right. Or we're dysfunctional and we don't like each other. It's, it's code for one of those two things. Yeah. We need to actually get together and talk about ways. My team actually knows not to use that phrase with me, right. ways of working. And it's like, no, you, do you want to know how we make a decision? I'll tell you who gets to make that decision. Do you not like each other and we need to sit down and talk about that? Okay, let's sit down and talk about that. Right. That's, that's legit and let's sit down and talk about that. But let's not confuse ways of working with the purpose and the why. Yeah, right. What is our objective for this? Right. And let's make sure that we have a very clear understanding. And if we don't, then that's my failure as a leader is to the why we're mm. working on this. I like it. Because the why we're working on this, whatever it is, I just, to me, in my experience, it strips away all the noise around ways of working. Like the why. Well, I mean, if we're making a decision about this product, that's going to have this impact for our customer experience. That's a very clear purpose. And we're going to like between product management and development and delivery and R and D, like all of that just suddenly becomes crystallized and clear. But otherwise, and I think I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a mischaracterization, but I think that I think larger companies struggle with, I think, I think you're, 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 so I don't have the same allergy to the term ways of working because I, I find it interesting sometimes they're like, okay, like what works for you? What doesn't work for you? But I think what you're pointing out is that it's a lot of times it's code. It's code. It's encoded with this, you know, I, I want more control or I want you to not touch my stuff or whatever the thing is. And, yeah, and, and I'm not going to say universally, but in many organizations – that I've worked in over the past. Like I've just, I've seen that become code yeah, of course, for, of course. you know, decision making like control and process. Well, and I've said before, I've said policy, company policy is typically company scar tissue. Right. Somebody has done something wrong. Yeah, it's really And good. so we need a policy or a procedure or an SOP for that, you know, which, you know, one person out of 80,000 did something wrong. So now we need a policy. That's just, that's just scar tissue. Can I give you an example yeah. of something where I think this is both sort of gets to the point of what you're trying to make about making people more successful mm. and also is subversive. Mm. I don't know if I've used this example before, but um, if I have, I apologize. But the, um, there was like, you know, I did, I told you I did this pharmaceutical work for, for years where I, I was brought in as a communication coach helping pharma teams uh, prepare for FDA hearings. And it's a very intense, very rigorous, uh, very data-driven um, political process where the stakes are incredibly high. And the scientists and the doctors and the statisticians are all brought together, and they have to basically tell a story in a way that is compelling and clear in a very short period of time. And then they get like 20 minutes maybe to answer questions from the independent panel. And if they don't do that well, if they don't do that well, it sinks the whole thing. That's yeah. like usually billions of dollars of research yeah. eight and years, eight years, more. fifteen yeah. years. And um, and we were working with this one team, and this one team had this like had had this. It was a really interesting like um, 
it was like a it was both mechanical and pharmaceutical. So it was like a, a, a an object that had to be used. So it was kind of like crossed over these barriers with mm. the FDA. And um, so the typical thing is you do these you do these mock trials, and you basically practice with them, and you bring in experts who like ask questions. And the guy that I was coaching, uh, who was a moderator, he just was like. He, it was so easy to tie him up in knots. He was just getting, I mean, hammered. And every time we did these mock trials, he would get hammered. And people would, like, they would get so much feedback. It was overwhelming. And, you know, my instinct at the time was to say, we need to, like, back off on him. He's losing his confidence. We have to, like, give some space. But I was really over, overrun by, like, a lot of different people who, who, who's, you know, their intention was to basically, like, no, 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 we got to grind it down. They would say things like, maybe he's not the right guy. It's like, you know, two weeks before we're about to, to, to like, do it. Maybe he's not the right guy. And, like, all that stuff, all that pressure. And I remember the day before we were supposed to go up, the CEO showed up. He was this German guy. He was like very, he was very like, I, I expect him to be kind of a hard ass. Like I expect mm. him to be sort of like, you know, kind of like, I was like, oh no, this guy's going to be all over the moderator. And it's going to, and anyway, so we were doing our thing and we were going through and like, we did a mock trial and we did a mock hearing and it did not go well and it kind of fell apart. And the person who was in charge said, we have to do this. We're going to be up all night. We're going to come back and we're just going to do this until we get it right. And the CEO stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. We're done here. Mm. And he said, and he looked at everybody in the room, everybody on his team, and he said, you all have done an amazing job. Mm. You all are beautiful people. You've worked very hard. We're not going to get any better tonight. He said, Get some rest. Take the rest of the afternoon off. Enjoy your evening. Order room service on me. I'll see you in the morning at the FDA. Oh, what a great leader. We'll be fine. What a great leader. And I swear to God, I was like, oh, my God. I thought, (laughs) I thought, like, I mean, subversive. I know he was in charge, but it was like he was not in charge of this. This process, I have watched CEOs, CMOs. I have watched people completely lose their mind. But what he did in that moment was he actually saw the people in his team and yes. what the, the human beings in his team needed, which was not more practice, not another iteration, not another run through the scripts, but they needed a break in that moment. They needed to rest, recharge, reset. They knew the material. They needed to know that they that he believed in them. And that they had his trust. Yeah. And you know what? They killed it the next yeah. day. They they completely did such a great job. They passed in flying colors. They got like it was it I mean, was, I, I, I have to believe that if he had had any doubt about their knowledge of the products, the process, the data, he would have had a different response. Right. But what he communicated in that moment from listening to your story was, I actually do believe you know this. Right. I am confident in the process and the data. And I know that what you need in this moment is actually a break. Right. And, and I, th- I, th- I, think what, I think what he saw happening yeah. was, was these guys were getting beat up. Yeah. And I think that like he was like, this is like – you know, we're, this isn't just the law of diminishing returns. Like we're actually being destructive. Well, I just, you here. know, when I think about what, what I, what I, the reason I said what a great leader is not even the context, but what what I hear from that story is that he looked past the moment. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yes, Ken. Yes, he looked past the moment. He looked past the moment. And he yes. said, "I actually, I think I understand what you need to be successful." And yeah. he, he set it up. He set the team up to yeah. be successful. And that's the point I want to make is like, as a leader, that is that's your job. That's your job. That's your job. And that's if your you're job. not doing that, right? If you're not doing that. Then you're just a manager. Yes. Or worse, you're an impediment, right? <laughs> or worse. Yeah, you know, worse, worse. Like you're getting in the way. You're getting and... in the way. Oh, my gosh, yes. No, I think this is the whole thing. It's like, you know, when, when my when, – back to the story. When my kids – you know, when I asked my kids, I actually provoked my kids. I said, what do you think I do? And it was kind of this offhand comment that I made to my kids. Like, what do you think I do? And 
this was years ago, but it certainly could have been true during pandemic when, you know, I was working from home like so many of us and they see me on a Zoom call working on PowerPoint. I also work on Excel. That's a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, just to be clear. Just to be clear. But I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's honestly, that's that's a lot of what I, I do. We answer a lot of emails, I'm sure. Yeah, emails are in there. But I said, that's a lot of what I do. But what's my job? My job as a leader is to help other people be successful. Yeah. I, I, I would. That's, that's I, it. I, I would say, I mean, if I were to like, I don't know, try to like put some color to that i would say to provide clarity a lot of times too i mean a lot a lot of times people are just really stumbling in the dark well that's i think that's the how so in when i say other people be successful i mean i i I encompass my team but i also encompass my colleagues yeah that's it the other people that i work with at my company because my job actually impacts other people in my company my customers right i want them to be successful and if i just and honestly the best the, the best people that I work with, so I'm, I am, as we've talked about before, I'm a CIO. I work with a lot of software companies, and I, I spend a lot of energy talking to, like, salespeople. And I'm like, look, help me be successful, right. and you will sell me software. Right. right. If you just hold that at the heart of what you do, you're going yeah. to make me be successful. You're going to make you be successful. You're going to make my team be successful. So like, it's just disappointing. So it's so disappointing. Poor. You have to, like coach your your salespeople to, to do that but yes yes 100%. Even, even and i'll go back to season one where i talked about I mean, like, you know i said i you know at one point i i said i was working with somebody that within a colleague that like we we felt at odds mm. and i i had to clarify i said my job is to make you be more successful yeah and if i can do that then i win yeah and when we broke down that barrier suddenly our collaboration become became much more, uh, much less inhibited, much more successful, much more impactful. And but I had to actually like state it. Like my job is to make you more successful. That's it. That's what I, I'm here for. I show up every day for. And I just think that uh, all too few leaders really put that at the forefront of their oh. day-to-day purpose. Yeah, and you, and you know why? I mean, you know why? But well, from my experience, when I talk to people, yeah, and it gets back to the "it's not personal" concept. Yeah. They're they're thinking about themselves. They're worrying about themselves. That guy that I told you about, the German, you know, CEO. He he went in there and he was like, "I'm sure." He watched what was happening and was thinking, oh, my God, my board is going <laughs> to, like, if this doesn't go well, my board's going to. But he was like, you know what? This isn't about, like, I can't be afraid of my board. I can't be afraid that these people are going to fail. I have to actually talk to them like they're going to be successful. And that's removing your personal, like, your personal fear, your personal, like, needs or your, like, whatever your things are, your inadequacies that you come up in those moments, putting that stuff aside. And, and you said this earlier, seeing them for who they are, seeing them. Mm. Well, just think about it. And I, I know we need to, we're, we're long on time here, but let's wrap this up. Because if wherever you sit as a listener, wherever you sit within the organization, I, maybe you're a CEO. Okay. If you're a CEO, you need your head of marketing to be successful. If your head of marketing is successful, your company is going to be successful. Yes. Maybe you're a CIO like me. You need your head of operations and supply chain to be successful yes. because if they're successful, you're going to be successful. Right. Maybe you're a project manager. You need your sponsor to be successful because if they're successful, you're going to be successful. Right. So if you just take yourself out of it for a minute and say, how do I help that person be successful as a leader? How do I help them understand the why of what we're doing? How right. do I help translate? Let's, let's take the noise out and let's actually execute if you take it and you make it, to your point, not personal, and you say, I want to actually put the person I'm working with right now at the center of this, and I want them to be as successful as possible, it is inevitably going to come back on you and yeah. help you achieve your objective in the long run. And, and, and the organization as a whole, and it's, it's just such a, I wish more people thought that way. It'd be so helpful. It, it, it's an amazing kind of... Um, It's this amazing kind of like if you put some, you know, you put your colleague at the center of this, 
it's going to reflect back on the work that you're trying to do in a way that will magnify or, or, or you know, uh, accelerate right. the ultimate right. outcome. There's a Taoist thing about this, like the more, if you want to build more trust within your, within your, I think they're talking about cities, but like in your organization, trust more. It's like this weird, like, oh, Seth, you know. What a great setup. So, you know, as, as I said, I know we, we kind of ran long, but this is a great conversation. And it leads right into our next conversation, which yeah. is going to be about change, which is what we're talking about. It's like changing the mindset, changing mm-hmm. the approach and culture. And what if those two things went together? Yeah. What right. if you took a deliberate approach to change and a deliberate approach to culture and you put those two, like you sent them out on a date? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. That's going to be like, I know it's set up for next time, but I think this is this is really what we're talking about is inviting as a leader your your opportunity as a leader, your role as a leader is to actually create that that space for that kind of change. Awesome. Can't wait to talk about that. That's great. (laughs) Good. All right. Uh, Seth, as always, thank you so much for the time and the conversation. Great. Great to see you. Great to talk to you again, Ken. Uh, As always, love to hear your stories and in. Just a reminder again to the audience, um, uh, um, I got that book that's going to be coming out. Into the Wolf. Into the Wolf. And um, if you want to know more about it, you can come to my website, uh, Seth at SethRigoletti.com. Or at uh, It'sNotPersonal.net. Or It'sNotPersonal.net. Where we have every episode uh, linked to and space for comments and commentary. And so there's a lot of opportunity for learning more about this conversation. And you you can sign up if you haven't done so already you can sign up on the website it's not personal.net and get on the uh the, the blog post that we, we post every uh ken writes every week when, during during the episodes a little yeah, bit during about, the season during we, the we season post every week so a lot more to come uh more conversation we love hearing your feedback yeah. thank you so much and if you have questions comments uh, etc. Go to www.itsnotpersonal.net or wherever you find your podcast fun. Let us know. We love hearing from you. We love your feedback and we look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken. Thanks all.